right, welcome back to InPod. As always, I'm your host, Nick Sweeney, and I'm really excited about today's episode because I've got a special guest, the first guest we are ever going to have on this show. And that episode is probably the guy that I know the most, I know knows the most about PDM. Uh, he's been there answering all the questions I've ever had about PDM, as well as a whole bunch of questions just about life. Uh, he is my dad. He is Jeff Sweeney. Dad, welcome to the podcast. Hey, Nicholas. Thanks for having me on. It's an honor to be your number one. Yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. So uh, the kind of the topic of today's podcast, I was thinking we'd talk about your start in PDM, kind of your background, uh, you know, how you started off with everything that you've done, how you became kind of the Swiss army knife of kind of doing everything that we need you to do. Uh, maybe talk about your introduction into the VAR world and maybe some stories that you've got. What do you think? Talk about stuff in the CAD world before you were even born, huh? Well, yeah, it's all 95s yeah. before I was born, so I would agree. Yeah, did you, you know I had a Solarworks 95 on my desktop? Well, by desktop, you don't mean desktop desktop. Like physical desktop is what you're talking about. Yeah, you know, the uh, it's always kind of fun if you ever go to a user group meeting, how guys kind of harass each other and say, oh, yeah, what's the first version you ran? And what I tell people is that I actually have had Solarworks 95 on my desktop. But unfortunately, I, I mean that very literally. My boss came up to me and he handed me the box with the, you know, the old uh, CD, I guess it was probably the CDs, and uh, told me to, to, to put 95 on and, and start playing with it, start figuring out how we can use it in our company. And at that point in time, I was pretty busy and uh, I kind of ignored it and didn't really jump on it like I should have. And uh, during one of our next performance review, that was one of the things brought up. He said, hey, I expected you to have this 3D stuff rolled out, and you've not even opened up the box yet. So when I say I had it on my desktop, I really did. But 96 is actually technically the first version that I installed. But I don't want to tell people that part of the story, right, because it doesn't sound good. So you didn't have time to implement, quote, that 3D stuff? Yeah, we were, we were a pretty heavy AutoCAD company at the time. We had a really nice, lots of uh, list routines, and, and it was very highly customized. And at the time, I guess I got to admit, I didn't really see the advantage to 3D compared to, you know, obviously what I do now today with it. It's a different world back then. Isn't it amazing how much the world has changed? Like you and I were just talking offline before this about why would you ever want 2D? You know, 3D is so much better. Everything should be done in 3D. And yet... Solder 95, ah, I don't need that 3D stuff. Yeah, it was a, it was a toy. It, well, well, you're not going to really design with that kind of stuff. It's uh, The AutoCAD is the only way that you can really get stuff out. Please, three dimensions? No, everything is drawn in 2D. That's how it has to work. Yeah, it, it, it took us a while. I mean, we did have it pretty customized up, and, and we had uh, SolidWorks, a vanilla out-of-the-box SolidWorks competing with a highly customized AutoCAD. So it took a while for us to be able to start making money with it. But once we did, you know, the guys, you know, they, they never wanted to look back anymore. They, this is what we want. And, um, they like the features of being able to look at uh, interferences and just, you know, testing the designs a lot better. The design quality went up significantly once we finally did decide to go to 3D. It's kind of the stuff that we see all the time is people say, well, we've got this customized system and, and, that custom system, it's so hard to move away from it because you've spent years, you spent hours, you spent hours on hours on hours, uh, maybe months and years, just developing the system to be everything you need. And now all of a sudden, well, do we really want to switch off of that? It's it's a scary thing. Well, 
to be exactly what you need, right? You know, you have it tied into your existing systems, and and to, to, to idea of taking that out is really a, a daunting task sometimes. And that's certainly a lot of what my job is now today is saying, all right, yeah, we, you got a customized system. How can we now take all the functionality that you know and love today and bring it over into the SolidWorks lifetime? And it's uh, it's a fun challenge oftentimes because you're reinvent looking to see what the college EDS has been doing us for 10 years. How can we make it even better now when we go to it? So let's actually talk about that and customizing the system because you obviously you didn't get your start with AutoCAD. You didn't get your start with, with SolidWorks 95. You started with ME10, right? Well, as far as if you want to get into that type of you know, customization of things, that started back in my Commodore 64 days. <laughs> the uh, the old 16 colors and, and uh, living large then. So I've been kind of programming for since, since those days. But yeah, my first real CAD package was ME10 that we used in college. And I, actually, I think I know what you want me to talk about. The uh, One of the things that I loved about ME10 was that you had the ability to make infinite horizontal and vertical lines. And then you can kind of, they're construction lines, you can attach to them. And then when I went to, to AutoCAD, that version of AutoCAD back then did not have those construction lines. And so I couldn't live without it. It was really uh, how I learned to design work with them. So I decided I was going to figure out how to do those. And I talked with a couple of friends and I went on some Usenet boards and tried to figure out. I finally wrote my first two AutoCAD lift programs. It was like I called it H line and V line, horizontal line and vertical line. And I, and I never told anybody, but boy, I, I probably had 20 hours in each one of those trying to figure out how to do it. But uh, once I did, I was really pretty proud of it, and I was showing other guys around, and they all kind of adopted pretty quick. And then my boss saw it, and I, of course, I didn't tell him that I, you know, spent 40 hours of company time trying to make two little lines draw on the screen. <laughs> and he got pretty excited about it, and it was really his first exposure to um, the fact that we internally could make our own custom programs as well. So a couple of days later, he came to me with another idea, and I, I actually I don't remember what the next idea he had to do. He said, can you can you write this? And I was still a young pup, and I said, yeah, I can have any problem. You, you know, you dream it. I can do it. And uh, that probably took me another good week or so to write, too. But So I just eventually started, you know, letting people think that I was a master programmer. But meantime, behind the scenes, I was working really late and trying to figure out how to get all that to work. Fake it till you make it. Did I say it again? Fake it till you make it. Yeah, well, that, that that was exactly what it was. I never told anybody. The, uh, the you know, your mom probably was all upset with me working late at night trying to figure stuff out. But the uh, when we finally got it worked in and stuff, and 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 you know, we got more and more advanced, and, and eventually we started going to some model list stuff and some uh, visual list. I guess is what it would have been back then. And the programming got improved, improved, and using applications. So I'm, that was really my first opportunity to get into writing programs for existing applications before they're always kind of standalone little apps. So that's kind of your first experience customizing your program to do whatever it is you need it to do. That's not, I mean, because the way I would always describe your job is whatever problem needs fixed or whatever problem needs solved, you find a way to solve it. Is that kind of how it's always been for you then? Well, yeah, the, uh, the, uh, one of my first bosses told me that it was easy and anybody would do it. And so those are the kinds of the challenges that I always get, always get thrown onto. He says, well, let's figure out how we're going to do it. Bouncing different ideas off of each other, different people and trying different things. And, um, 
you know, I, I guess that's how I always go go to it. Is, is that in a way, I'm I'm one of those people that I'm so lazy that I'm always thinking, "Golly, there's got to be a better way of doing this." And so I spend time getting it in there. But I guess one of the things that to to the whole point of that story is is that you can really get a fast return on investment for applications, right? So, okay, even in my example where I might have spent 20 hours doing a, a, one grubby little line, but everybody in the company uses it, and everybody in the company uses it over and over again. And say you save two minutes for each time, it really doesn't take too long to get your return back. Mm. So automation is a really fast way. And uh, so I, I don't mind putting extra energy into automation or programming because of the fact that there's uh, a good payback and it's, and it's easy to calculate. Yeah, design automation, as people that read, my, read the blog posts that I do and people that know me personally, design automation is something that I have a passion for and I have done a lot of it. And I think it's it's so easy to see that return on investment because it's something that you do over and over and over and it pays for itself rapidly because instead of spending 30 minutes creating this assembly, now you spend 30 seconds Well, you've just saved nearly half an hour every single time you use it. So it pays for itself lightning fast. Even if you spend weeks setting this up, you're saving half an hour every time you do it and you do it 10 times a day, you're saving five hours per day. Even you, you use the word design automation, but I think you can say more generally, you know, I, and obviously when you think about it, any type of automation comes back, right? And, you know, so that's why we invented robots. That's why we invent things to do repetitive tasks over and over again. Sure. I mean, and, uh, kind of I, I agree with you completely. It's, for me, it's been design automation, but process automation and automating your programs and automating your tasks and everything that you do. Uh, just me personally, it's always been designed automation, but yeah, I, I'm completely with you automate everything we do. That's, that's why we have remote controls for, for TVs, because we didn't want to have to stand up and walk across the room and turn the dial. So some genius came up with the idea of let's do this from the couch. And that person is well regarded. As soon as I notice that I'm doing something more than once, I'll start thinking, oh, this isn't cool. I got it. There's gotta be a better way. So let's talk about a better way then. I think that's actually a decent segue. So when you were working with SolidWorks 95 or refusing to work with SolidWorks 95, that's the same company. (laughs) So that was the same company that you also helped institute their uh, DB works, correct? Or their their, uh, PDM platform. Yeah, so... I, I ended up faking my way into people thinking I knew quite a bit about computers. And, and so when we did decide that we do need a product data management system, I was kind of put in charge. I was put in charge of making the recommendations to upper management about which way we wanted it to go. And golly, that, that was a tough decision. So I do uh, know what our existing customers go through when they're trying to decide if they want to go to, to SolidWorks PDM or not. So I, I interviewed, uh, we looked at DBWorks, obviously, because that's what we did end up choosing. We looked at SolidWorks work group at the time. We looked at Kinesio, and um, I can't remember. I, there, there was probably about seven of them we first started off with. And, and we did the thing. We had vendors come in, giving us demonstrations, and I did my own settings and did, uh, did an uh, independent install on my computer and, and did a lot of testing that way. And so it was a it was a pretty big thing, but we when we finally decided to, we chose DBWorks uh, because I really liked the openness of the system and, and the ability to to get it into the in and, and manipulate and and what do you surprise you know configure 
and do different types of things with it. The people ask me now, I said, well, you know, golly, why didn't you choose Kinesio? Which, by the way, it was the, uh, the name of SolidWorks PDM back then. And you know, the problem we had with Kinesio then was just too young because we were doing this right as Kinesio was coming out. And it really didn't have yet the features that we know of today. And plus, you know, Kinesio was a, a relatively small uh, foreign company that we didn't know a whole lot about. and There wasn't a whole lot of information about them. So we, we did like, uh, certainly we loved the integration in with uh, Windows Explorer, which is what people still love about uh, PDM. But uh, love that every day. Oh, yeah, it's, it's so much fun to, to tell people that, look, you, if you know how to use Windows Explorer, you already have a good feeling for how to use a PDM. But that alone wasn't enough back then. So certainly knowing now, if I knew then what I know now, I would have went to this year. That way we'd already been on that platform and ready to go. But that's kind of how we end up with DBWorks. And I'm still pretty proud of the decision. It, it was a good tool back then. That knowledge definitely helped you when you left that company and you joined 3D Vision in, what was it, May of 2006, I think it was? Just trying to think when I moved as a kid. Well, it would have been uh, right around that time. And the reason why 3D Vision hired me, uh, or one of the reasons why, is that that was around the exact same time that SolidWorks purchased Kinesio. And so 3D Vision knew that the amount of Kinesio business was going to increase because now we had the big massive SolidWorks marketing behind it. And it did. Uh, I, I've heard stories that uh, the amount of sales did significantly better within the first quarter that SolidWorks bought it versus the entire time that Kinesio was by themselves. So it, it just took off like crazy. And that was really my first responsibility when I got hired at my bar back then 3D Vision. It was to be the guy to help people implement and to help support. So I was doing tech support in the nights, and, and I was doing implementation in the days and training all mixed in there as well because at the time, I was it. I was the only guy. It was, it was a very busy, exciting time. And 3D Vision being kind of a smaller VAR, so, I mean, you started small. It, was, it wasn't – so, I mean, Canisio, once it was purchased by SolidWorks, it took off. Yeah, but yeah. for you, it was just a handful of customers at that point, right? Yeah, I think we had three customers, or three division had three existing Kinesio customers when I got hired on. So, yeah, right. It wasn't like I was doing hours and hours of tech support. I was helping ramp it up and get things going. Probably, I guess now I think about it, a good percentage of my time in the very early days was just doing demos and showing people the product and, and convincing people, yeah, it really is as easy as uh, what it looks like it is. Well, that sounds very similar to what I do now. <laughs> Most of my day is spent demoing PDM and DriveWorks and, and whatever else someone wants demoed. Yeah, both, both those products are very fun to, to demo because it, they really do show off well what they can do. Mm -hmm. So when you were learning PDM, I know from my experience with PDM, it's been kind of trial by fire. You, you get thrown in and as you, you're learning as you're demoing. Every time you demo, you learn something new for the first several times. So for you, you went through somewhat of a trial by fire with the implementation standpoint and, and not it, like tech support implementations. You were learning it all on the fly too. It's not like you came from SolidWorks and you were the Kinesio expert. 
Yeah. In, in fact, it, it kind of ties in with the earlier part. I would go to a customer site and I would just be learning the stuff myself. And yet everybody in the room is looking at me like I'm some sort of wise old man that's been using the software forever. And as you said earlier, I was kind of faking it till I make it. I was uh, taking these questions. Yeah, that's, that's a good idea. Let me uh, take that back and think about it. In the meantime, I'd be writing it down and going back, talking to SolidWorks, trying to learn or testing on my own system when I was back at the hotel. So it's kind of stressful in a way, right? Because you're trying to show off and look confident in what you're doing. But in, in the back of my mind, you should please quit asking me questions. I don't know. I mean, <laughs> these are hard. But so one of the neat things, though, that I've learned with, with that is, is while, while doing these implementations and stuff is, is that you know, we, we always go to the customers and say, hey, you know, we're going to design a workflow. But just saying design a workflow can mean so many different things to, to different people. And so you'll sometimes get a, a big sheet back of the, them designing the workflow with the old you know, the workflow design processes. And they'll include things in those workflows that don't really make sense to PDM. Like one of the things might be is we'll have a design review. Okay, yeah, certainly that is part of the design process, but I'm controlling files. And a design review is not really anything with those files. Mm-hmm. So we'll spend time, when, when I first show up nowadays to a customer, is we'll spend time talking about, okay, here's what PDM can do for you. And we're talking about files here, so let's think about what the files lifecycle is, not the design lifecycle itself. That's not really, PDM doesn't get into the design lifecycle more than just, you know, controlling files. Yeah, PDM is product document management. So, I mean, however, how you design the product makes no difference to PDM. It's just a matter of, do you have the product? Do you have that document for PDM to then manage it? Yeah, yeah. And, and another thing, too, that, you know, being there is, is sometimes we get a whole bunch of people in the room because we're going to talk about the design processes. And it was always, always be that once we're getting to the point of document, documenting these processes, there's sometimes a lot of surprises because one group will go, well, no, we don't do it that way. And other groups go, yeah, well, you should be doing it. And then there's always big fighting going on in the room because we're just now trying to officially define what those processes are. And I'm like, you guys, I mean, I, I appreciate you getting good and passionate here, but you guys, you're paying us consulting time for me to be here and watching you fight. And that was one of the things that took me a while to learn is how to kind of work with those types of, of issues. Uh, today, we have what I think is a real nice process. Is before we even go in there, we'll have several preliminary meetings, and we'll talk about uh, what kind of goals are, and we'll start building those goals up really good and fast before we even start cracking up the software. Well, before, we just thought ah, we were, were good and brave, and just, let's just call it and put it on, and we can go. Learn that there's a lot of value to planning. Time. Planning is, I would say planning is probably the biggest part of our job. It, it, at the very least, is the biggest part of my job is helping people plan for this implementation because I'm in that pre-sales realm. So I'm involved with, I talk with the customer about this product. I demo the product. And then they're all looking at me saying, well, how's this going to work? What do we need to do to get ready for this? So it's like, I'm helping them plan for when you get in there and you start talking to them and helping them figure out what is it that we need to do. A good percentage of our customers, right? They they think they know what they they do, but once it comes to actually documenting it and getting it down, like what you need to do, that's uh, often a completely different topic and a different. No, I guess not topics not the right word. That's that's a completely different idea that a lot of companies don't have. So a good percentage of our customers, I think, really get a good handle on their processes when they implement PDM. So PDM is kind of 
even though what we want them to do is come into PDM with those, with that full picture in mind, that full idea of this is exactly what our processes look like. PDM is almost like a learning tool then getting them to the point of, okay, now I understand our process. And then if someone came in and said, what's your process, they could tell you exactly what it is versus before PDM, before the implementation. Uh, well, we, we kind of do this. And then we, most of the time we do this and that versus with PDM, it's clearly defined. Yeah, you know, and I, I can even add to that a little bit. Uh, a lot of companies we go into, they have ISO certifications. And one of the things about ISO is, is, right, you document what you do and you do what you document. And even those kind of companies, sometimes when it comes down to really, right, we've documented how we do, but what does that mean? Uh, how, how can we make this work for us? Sometimes that's, uh, it surprises me how often that turns into be a challenge. But we do it all the time, right? So um, I think that's one of the nice things that uh, being with Inflow nowadays, we, we've done these, a lot of these, and we can really be a good mentor for companies that want to get into the processes, get it documented, basically digitize it, get it into the PDM system. To be the trusted advisor, that is always our goal. <laughs> so That sounds like a good marketing point there. That's nice. I should write that down. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about your implementations because just having grown up with you, I know you've had a lot of good ones. You've had a lot of really weird implementations. So let's talk, let's talk about a weird one. Cause it, you, I, every time you tell me about this story, I can't help but shake my head and just be surprised. So what is the weirdest, one of the weirdest things you've ever had happen? Maybe not an implementation, but one of the weirdest things you've heard about. Are you talking about the, the guys that had a problem moving the data? Yes, moving. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so, okay, th this is really isn't uh, an implementation, but it's, it's kind of one of my fa favorite stories. And unfortunately, it was not, it, it's only, you're hearing it from me secondhand because I heard it from the, uh, one of the SolidWorks support technicians that told me about it. But so oftentimes, right, with PDM, you're going to have to move your data from one server to another or move the data, right, because certainly you're going to outgrow the machines or you're going to need more drive space or who knows, right? You, oftentimes data does need to move. And so we had a customer call in and said that they, uh, all they did was they, they had the servers in the, in the one room and they wanted the data moved into an, another, uh, I guess they purchased a new building. And they, that was a whole new, I yeah, that's what it was. It was a brand new IT room that they had, and they wanted that data moved over there. And they called in and said, hey, it was fine now, but now that we've moved it, it's not good anymore. And, and we went on there and, and looked at it, and there was a good percentage of files that you, you couldn't open it anymore. They were, they were corrupt, or, or sometimes they couldn't even be found. And... Um, so you start the traditional type of questions. Well, how how did you move the files? And, and the guy kept talking about his UPSs and how he had to buy U, UPSs to move the data. And, and I'm like, okay, whatever. That doesn't make any sense. So talking about the, the data itself. And every question was just never, the re responses back never really made sense. Finally figured out what happened was when this guy said he moved the data, he actually physically moved the data. He took those servers and moved them from where they were to the next room. He picked it up and took it across the street. Yeah, not, not that big of a deal. People move servers all the time. But this guy, I guess, didn't know how to shut his servers down or was afraid to shut his servers down. For some reason, he didn't want to shut them down. So what he did is he got a bunch of UPS battery backups, put them on a cart, got the computers, put them on a cart as well, 
didn't shut him down, just disconnect him from the network. And there he's taking that cart down the street. I can imagine hitting the sidewalk, bang, 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 just bumping all over the place. And uh, so when he moved those files there, the uh, the hard drives are, are, are certainly just too jostled, right? You know, anymore, most computers today will, uh, at least laptop computers, their, their drives are designed to be moved around. But a, a server drive, they're, they're designed for speed. They don't have any of that types of robust type of thing. You need to turn those computers off so the heads will park. Mm-hmm. And th- this certainly didn't happen here. And so... I guess the worst part of the whole story after all that comes together is that certainly those drives were physically damaged, or at least those files were. And so I said, well, you know, there's nothing we can do. Those drives are, are they're not the, you know, the, the data's bad. You're going to have to restore from backup. And it wouldn't surprise you to learn that the guy didn't know how to turn off his computer, didn't know how to do backups. And so he lost a ton of work for his company because not only did he uh, physically damage the drives, but he didn't have any backups on top of it. So it's a, it's a fun story to tell, but you know that guy's got probably still hurting today for the amount of uh, you know, you're losing your entire company's intellectual property or a good percentage of it. That um, that does not look good on a resume. No, and I, I guess the moral of this whole story is um, a know how to back up your files. Yeah, yeah. Backups are critical. I, I say this so often with people. Backups are critical, and when you do a server move maybe talk to some people about doing it first. Yeah, we, we do a lot of server moves. So most of the time when we say server move, we're talking about doing a big robocopy and copying the data from one server to right. another. Um, I've never been involved with moving a server while it was hot, while it was live. Yeah, that's... That would have been an interesting show to see. Battery backup. Let's plug in our server to a whole bunch of batteries because I don't want to shut it down. I'm just trying to think about how, trying to think about what he went to his boss talking about. Uh, he went to his boss and said, okay, I need to move the server. I need to purchase seven batteries. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like what? I yeah. I'm confused. I, I, it's, I'm glad I wasn't there. Yeah. This, this, the weird things that we see, the weird things that SolidWorks has seen, that, that has been seen in our world throughout the years, it's, it, it's surprising sometimes. Yeah, yeah. All right, so now that we've talked about a terribly weird story, uh, you've got a pretty good one, too, talking a little bit about XML. And this this actually was an implementation, correct? Yeah, I, I think you're, you're talking about the uh, kind of the birth of one of our, the, of the pigeonhole program, I believe, and, and how that all started. So this is kind of, I mean, and, and I don't really mean to single this out because lots of fun implementations always have a weird little twist to them and things. But I, I guess one of my favorite stories about you know, an implementation is that the, the, this is a company that used to have status meetings uh, every morning, 8 o'clock in the morning. They had to be there for the status meeting. And the gist of, of that status meeting was, all right, Jim, you have three projects with the status on them. All right, Tim, you know, every guy, person in the room would talk about all the projects, how they're doing, when they're getting ready to be released, you know, what's the, what's the general status of each one of those uh, projects. And after we finally put PDM in, into their system, the neat thing was is now that kind of information is available to everybody's fingertips, right? You can do a quick search. Show me what percentage of all the files in this particular project are at what state and where are these projects going and how are they doing? So the nice thing is, is now 
the, all the, those hour-long meetings they had every morning are gone because the people that need that information can get it themselves when they want it, right? They don't even have to wait till 8 o'clock in the morning. They can go find that kind of information uh, right away. Another neat thing that uh, this company did was that they had an external system, their order entry system, and those order entry data, they want to be able to get that information into their PDM. So now their designers could then say, okay, here's the new project and here's a bunch of information for, for each one of those. And the idea of that was is that let's just go ahead and make a virtual document and on that, with that virtual document we'll attach a, a customized data card that can contain all the information that they might need. So how are we going to get that data in and out of the system? And, and, and the neat thing was in this story is it was an older system, it was a, the old AS400 style uh, computer system. I don't know if you know much about those, but those are another thing that happened before you were born. Much. Yeah, yeah. So there's not a lot of interface to it, but at least it did have the ability to create files. And so what we did have, we went to their system, and luckily they did have a real good AS400 guy, and he was able to figure out how to take those orders as they were being completed in the order entry system and push that information into an XML file. And then from there, the, the product was we just wrote a little uh, PDM programming interface that said every X number of minutes, it did a search for these XML files. Oh, I see here's an XML file. It was able to extract that information out, populate the virtual document, and now we had those virtual documents in PDM and those could go through a life cycle. And so again, now when they do their reporting, they can quickly see you know all the different reports, who they're from, the customer information, and the designers, there's no duplicate entry now. That data gets entered one time in, in the old AS400 system, brought over in the PDM, and then it goes through. And so the next part of that whole story, wow, I didn't realize this was a long story as it is, but you, you asked, so you're in here. Oh, we've got time. Yeah, yeah. The, uh, they want to be able to categorize their orders. So they have different kinds of products, and then each one of their products has, you know, subcategories underneath that, and each subcategory under that has each one of those. And so what they wanted to be able to do is have their designers be able to populate different variables on their data cards and make it kind of easier for them. So after they, they said what kind of product it was, they, the next choice of that subcategory, they want to be able to filter that that down to a smaller list so they're not seeing everything. And then obviously the third one, we don't want the users to be able to choose every third option. We want to be able to have that filtered based off of the first two. And so that's where Pigeonhole came from, was the Pigeonhole is one of our little custom programs that we wrote for them, and it will, like, we wrote with that, that, that concept in mind. And that's the idea of how that works, is that each variable can be filtered on the previous variable, so it looks like each one of those guys. Now, PDM, I, I don't know if you know this, but you know this, but PDM does give you the ability to filter a drop list based off of a previous list. Uh -huh. Right, you can you can filter that with each different kind of condition, and um, normally that's the way I try to go. But in this case, you couldn't do it here because of that. I I wanted to filter say the third list off of the first two, and the fourth list off of the first three, and so I needed to have those filters be significantly more intelligent. You needed so to build on each other. Right, right. Each 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 list is filtered off of the previous x number of lists. How many there are. And so then people ask me where did the pigeonhole come from? That's kind of the intent, right? You're categorizing and, and when you're pigeonholing, you're putting things into different categories to build that up. So that was just a, a, a program 
that one of our customers needed, and so we wrote for them and built that up. And then since then, that, that program has been around for probably seven years now. And now it has the ability to connect to other systems, talk to uh, other databases, and really can bring things in from serial numbers, lots of different types of things. So it's one of those programs that started out relatively simple. And then just as people request and as we get more and more interest in that program, it's kind of bloomed into a, a bigger and bigger program that can do a lot more stuff. As people request oh, wow. things, they you find a way to solve it. There you go. Back to back to where we started from. So, you know, certainly I always tried to, to make a solution with existing stuff that they already own. Um, that's always the best choice, right? When if you can work with what you already got, because a I don't have to buy anything new, and and b we don't have to maintain any anything custom. But but certainly there's going to be things that people come up with that nobody's ever thought of before. And how are we going to solve it? And in, in many cases, we we try to solve things with custom programming. Yeah, just figure a way to solve a problem. No matter what it is, as if someone gives you enough time and money, then you can solve whatever problem it is. Yeah, right. You can do anything if you give me enough time and money. Exactly. Great. Uh, well, I think that covers everything that I was wanting to talk about. Do you have anything else that you wanted to cover in this episode? I'm sure you'll be on more just because it's, it's generally pretty easy for me to get a hold of you. Yeah, when you need to ride home or something, we can we can record stuff in the car from <laughs> now on. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for uh, thanks for having me on. This, this turned out to be a lot more fun. I was a little bit nervous doing this, but it's uh, talking about the old times is always always a good thing to do. Yeah, thanks for being my first guest. Say out to mom for me. Yeah. <laughs> see you, Nick. All right. See ya. That was Bye. Jeff Sweeney. That was my first guest. I hope you all enjoyed the conversation we just had about. SolidWorks PDM and kind of his journey and look forward to talking to you on the next episode.